Welcome to Managing Marketing and today I'm sitting down with John Wilde who I first met when he was General Manager of Brand and Advertising at Telstra. He then went on to be Director of Marketing at Hotel Club and most recently is the, was the Vice President of Marketing in North America for Groupon. So welcome back to Sydney, John. Thanks Darren. It's lovely to be back and it's, it's lovely to see Sydney through a, a new lens. It's, a, it's in my opinion the, the best city in the world. Well I think a lot of people would agree with that. Uh, but because uh, you're in North America, whereabouts in North in America? In Chicago. So obviously, the Windy City. Yeah, often often described as the Windy City, not because of the weather, but because back in the day, their politicians were were, were more wordy than the, than the New York politicians. Oh right, I thought it was the wind that came down from yeah. Canada across the lakes would have a chill in it. But uh, yeah, that makes sense. Hey, um, it was at uh, Telstra, wasn't it, uh, during the Sol Trujillo days that you were the, uh, what was it, uh, general manager of brand and advertising? It was indeed. They were, they were, I actually had a wonderful time. I actually have very good memories of, of the time at Telstra. Um, it's very interesting. I think what Sol Trujillo was trying to do was organise the business along customer segments. And, and I've seen, like, organisational theory is generally cyclical. I've seen vertical functions, I've seen horizontal businesses, and customer segmentation actually was the first time I experienced a business to try and build different P&Ls around different customer segments. That was a major shift for Telstra because it had traditionally been a very product service vertical. Yes. And suddenly he was trying to tip it on its side so it actually thought about being, oh my God, customer centric. Yeah. And I, and I think part of, yeah, exactly. And I think part of that actually was just to actually remind people that we serve customers yeah. as opposed to technology or shareholders or some other, some other master. Um, it, it, it's probably of the three models the most complex to get right. Um, partly because you put, you're putting functions together, but also it, it, it's based on a premise that each segment consumes media in a, in a very different space and mindset than the others. And so you can actually get to the point where you have differentiated value-based pricing and a completely different experience for each customer segment. Yeah, potentially. So, so that's the theory. Yeah. I think, and I think this is where most brands fall, or where most brand marketing falls down, is people think it's a series of beautiful ads and communications and the way things look. And for me, a brand is, is, is way deeper than that. And, I, and I'm gonna, I think, paraphrase well, Ogilvy, he says a, a brand is a promise delivered. Well, because it's interesting, isn't it? Because first of all, does it feel like a lifetime ago to you? Yes, like a, more than a lifetime ago. Yeah, because a lot has changed, hasn't it? Yeah, uh, that period when even your title, you know, um, general manager of brand and advertising in many ways feels like a 20th century construct. You know, you've got brand and you're going to do advertising yeah. as if they're the only two parts to the marketing function. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, it was, a, it was Telstra, by its nature, was fairly bureaucratic and obviously had a very sort of public service almost orientation in the way of structure and titles. And it was very hierarchical. Mm-hmm. Everyone had their own role and you didn't want to step, up, step, aside, step on anyone's toes. But it's also a view of marketing that I think still persists in a lot of very large organisations, maybe more so in Australia, 
than other markets, but that is that marketing is really comms, the promotions part of marketing, yeah, agreed. than it is the full customer experience. Agreed. In fact, it, it, does, it does change as you move into sort of digital businesses, but certainly at Telstra there, is, there are very distinct roles. It was, almost, it was almost like it was a production facility where brand put their spin on things and then you went to the media, the media team and then you went through to the various, all the other various teams before you executed a campaign. Yeah. And it certainly, we didn't necessarily touch, you know, the product teams who were out there building products and services. We didn't really interact with the retail team who were building, you know, direct customer experiences. There was, there was very, it was a very disconnected experience. So it almost, almost ironic in a sense, we were trying to organize around a customer yet we were still delivering a very fragmented customer experience that was often very different based on the function that it was coming from. I remember uh, we uh, helped Telstra with a media review at the time. And it was just after that that they moved from having the Telstra shop to the tea shop. You know, it was this idea of that the retail function needed to be uh, structured in a way that actually acknowledged that there were such diverse groups of yeah. uh, customer segments. And, and I mean, we even had, I think, we even started using the segment names within certain stations within the shop. I, I still look at that shop and, and always chuckle because obviously you have the Apple store opposite it. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they got retailing right and I'm, I'm not quite sure yeah. Telstra did. But, and, and, it's a, and it's a very stark reminder of that particular <laughs> outcome. Now, you went from that role at Telstra, and as you say, happy memories, yeah. but you really did a, quite a, uh, a quantum leap from my perspective, yep. from a career perspective, because that was quite a traditional structure, traditional brand, into uh, a brand called Hotel Club, which was in a way a tech company, wasn't yeah. it? And it, and it, yeah, it, it was, and, I, and it was a deliberate choice because at the time, I'm showing my age now, there was this thing called Google that was suddenly you know, um, maximizing or, or really taking people's attention and, and, and starting to begin to really take media dollars away from the traditional media. I will also say that one of the things that really irks me is brand marketers over the years have, have done themselves a real disservice. They've typically pigeonholed brand marketing as unmeasurable mm. or, or intangible or emotional and all these sort of, and, and, and as a result, I think the C-suite has lost faith in building brands and we'll, we'll come back to that. But th this notion of measurability mm. has become more and more important in marketing. And so I wanted to move to a business that actually was on the very other end of the spectrum where 100% of their marketing was, was transactional. And it was online travel, which was at that point a very mature online category. And it's a marketplace, so you're selling the same stuff for the same price. Yeah, but I think you're doing yourself a disservice because Hotel Club also built a brand. And I know because I'm, a, custom, you know, I'm yep. a customer at the time. In fact, part of that was you taking that role. I remember yep. you said, oh, try it out. You know, that's, that's literally your sales pitch was try it out. Yep. So tell me what you think. And, you know, what's this 10 years later? Yeah. And that was and it was sold to Expedia, I think, as, as part of Orbitz for you know I think twelve billion dollars. But 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 it was interesting. We made a very in that particular scenario, we made a conscious choice. Our brand dollars were, weren't invested in typical above the line marketing. No, they were invested in a loyalty program. So the the, the basic concept of our of our business model was use transactional marketing to, to get the first purchase, and in some cases lose money on that first purchase, but then use the loyalty program to engage the consumer, and that was our brand. And, that, and, our, and if you like, if you like, our brand investment was all involved looking after the customer through the loyalty program to get return per, to get return direct purchases. 
And it was quite a traditional loyalty program in that it had the tiered approach. You know, the more you invested, the, the faster yeah. the rewards came back to you. All, all of the, the very... There was nothing tricky. No. Well, well, but it was delivered in an online real-time platform. Yeah, and, and actually... The only tricky bit part was we didn't try and replicate, say, the airline clubs, which, in my opinion, is sort of loyalty by entanglement. You know, you've got these points and all that, you don't really know how to use them and so on. We would give you dollars back, transparent dollars back on the transaction that you could use on the next transaction immediately. So there's no thresholds or all these other sort of tricks that that, law, that have crept into to loyalty programs as they've, as they've realised the finances on them aren't, aren't, aren't profitable or workable. So so you went into Hotel Club with a... And, and running the marketing yeah. with a clear view that your role was to get maximum trial and share of market or share of wallet. Yeah. I mean, one of my key KPIs was, was um, customer lifetime value. Okay. So, which is talked about a lot now. But so we, we, in fact, I, if you like, I had two that I really cared about. One was NCM on the transaction. So we, we were, we, and we typically tried to run that at, at, at zero. So, yep. so to basically use it purely as, an acqui- as, as a self-funding acquisition vehicle. Mm-hmm. At times, we would flex it up or down based on you know, quarterly targets and so on. But that was roughly how we set it. And then the real, the real metric that made the company money was then moving those people out from Google direct to the site through the loyalty program. Mm-hmm. And, and, that, and so, we, so we looked at, what I would like to think is we looked at the entire funnel, if you like, from, from the top of the funnel, I driving traffic through, through transactional channels, right through the, the to, to repeat purchase and, and lifetime value. Well, that's interesting because you've got two metrics there. Lifetime value is a longer term. Yes. It's lifetime. Yeah. Um, but you've also got the short term, the quarterly or monthly reporting that you have to do yep. as well. A lot of marketers, and especially brand marketers, really struggle with that. You know, we hear a lot about, oh, we're, we're forced into short termism. What do you think of that? I, th- I think it's a real danger. I think... The, I think the explosion in growth of, of, of the online platforms, you know, and specifically Google and Facebook, is partly because of these metrics that I talked about. The, the, the C-suite wants to understand and measure and has, a, and has a strong desire to understand the effectiveness of their marketing. Mm-hmm. The problem with that is that digital marketing sprays out a whole bunch of metrics that can almost, that, that, that a lot of them are deceptive in terms of, in terms of the value. So a lot of them are very, they are short term. Yeah. And in, in fact, what I've observed at large scale transactional businesses is that they often end up circling the bottom of the funnel. So particularly in, in a last click model. Well, and this is where paid search yes. can be a real trap, yeah. can't it? Programmatic display, all of these all of these sort of disciplines that rely on, on effectively math and, and, and bid arbitrage to, to understand the effectiveness. Because what they what they all end up doing is circling the same customers. Mm. And you start end up shrinking your overall customer base because you know every business has some level natural level of attrition. Mm-hmm. So all you're doing is retargeting your existing customers. You're on a you know you're on a downward slope. Yeah. Where in actual fact, you also need a strategy to grow that base of potential customers Correct. so that your future conversions. And, and this is where I think and this is and this is the part I think mar- marketers have kind of missed. Mm-hmm. And I, and I and I and I do believe we're on it we're on a, you know like anything in life it, things are things are sort of circular. And I think we've corrected towards this notion of metrics, mm-hmm. and we're now seeing sort of a, a pull back towards the realization that you can't just you have to also invest in brand. You have to do. I think you have to do it in a way you can measure, and you have to do it in a way that's effective. And I said I think there there's a lot of bad bad decisions made under the guise of brand because it's un, unmeasurable and unaccountable. 
I think you need to you need you need to respect the notion that you you have to understand how effective your marketing is. Mm-hmm. But what I do what I do see is is with strong brands perform way better at the bottom of the funnel as well. So if you have a strong brand, invest in brand, yeah. you see all of your transactional marketing improve. And, I, and, I've, and I've observed that not only in, in, in other businesses I've worked for, but also when you look at when I've spoken to the, the big digital platforms, they all talk about the, brand, the, the businesses that have great brand have also extraordinarily efficient transactional marketing programs. It really is uh, this idea of you know sales and marketing have come closer together with online platforms, haven't they? You know that the idea of having a sales team in many ways marketing can also be responsible in in the case of hotel club and yeah, yeah. Uh, and Groupon. Correct. Your sales team is the online platform. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, marketing is like I mean, marketing now is is and it has as I said it, it shifted to this very. Um, data-centric, very num- number-centric sort of um, discipline. Yeah. Um, but and, and you know, and I, and I think that's partly because in, in, in an online platform or a digital marketplace, you're a, you're able to track the performance of your marketing in real time. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, you are look. You know, when I look at say the big online platforms in the US, they're all hiring CMOs with FMCG background. Mm-hmm. So, and if you look at Amazon, they're now the, the biggest spender in, in traditional marketing. Now, traditional media. Traditional media, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So like TV, radio, yeah. etc. Now, they're doing that for a reason because Amazon measure everything, I can assure you. Yeah. So they're doing it because it has an effect and there is a, and there is a measurable positive effect that they manage to, to tease out. You look at, uh, I mean, in Facebook and Google, I think they're in the top five advertisers in the US. So they're, they're all aggressively out there using outdated, and I'm using that in, you can't see this on the podcast, but inverted commas, outdated um, media vehicles and channels. So it's interesting, really smart retailers have got this in them, you know, like they've understood this whole model. Yeah. Because the the secret to retail, and I remember working with a lot of retailers in my advertising career, and they'd say, listen Darren, we do promotions to maximize our yield of the potential market in a particular time period. That's why we have a sale or a promotion. Yeah. Because what we want to do is we know there's a certain number of customers and we want to attract the maximum possible in that period. But in the month's time, we need to make sure that we top up the people in the marketplace. So we need to have a long-term strategy, which is build our reputation. They yep. called it reputation, but that's brand. brand. Yep. Right? So that we increase the top and will and and still convert at the bottom. Yeah, and I think that's what you're talking. It about. It is. It is. And actually, to, to to build on your retail example, also ensure when they're in store, you treat them in a way that really reinforces the brand. Because you know, a personal experience is considerably more impactful than reading. You know, seeing a piece of linear comms, for example, or communications. Okay, so you've opened up another area I wanted to chat to you about, and that is, you know, brand building often ends up being pushed down to advertising. And yet that's not really where brand occurs. No. It's, a, it's no, customer no. experience. Correct. You know, the idea, and yet marketing departments will often be turned into the promotions department and be yet responsible for short-term sales, long-term brand value, and yet not have any influence at all over the customer experience. Yeah. I mean, you know, and so I agree. So like for me, for me, the, the, the customer experience is, is, is the brand, is the reinforcement of the brand. In a, in a digital business, it's interesting because 
there is a common push-pull on this where marketing say we're about attracting traffic and the product team's about converting it on site. So in that model, the product team is, the, is actually your brand team. Yeah. Yet, yet the brand team sits in marketing, which is all about driving traffic. So, so in fact, they've almost perpetuated that same, that same oh. paradigm, if you like. Um, for me, and, you, and you, you see businesses trying to solve it with like chief customer officers and these other sort of titles chief and so on. Chief sales officer, yeah. chief revenue officer, chief something. Yeah, yeah. some C. But, 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 I, but the bottom line is, is that I, and I, and I don't know what the exact metric, but I've, I've seen hundreds of sort of, you know, Dan lies in statistics, but a good positive customer experience is worth 100 impressions of, of, of marketing or communications. And I think businesses that get that right, I mean, Apple, there's a good example. I mean, it's a, it's a bit, again, a bit hackneyed and overused, but they figured out that their, their stores aren't necessarily about maximizing the retail footprint. It's about yeah. building their brand. Yeah, it's a brand experience yeah. when you go in there and you whether you go to the Genius Bar, which yeah. is beautifully named, yeah. or just the interactions with the retail staff yeah. you know, is a brand experience. Correct. To walk out. It's interesting, isn't it? There's something uh, more rewarding buying an Apple product from an Apple store than buying it just from any Apple reseller. Yeah, and yeah, I agree. In fact, I found myself more than once buying it online and then going into the store. Yeah, I've done that too. <laughs> and like, it's a, it's a hacking example. There are other great retailers yeah. out there that do a fantastic job, even great online retailers that do, you know, Zappos is another one. You yeah. know, that, 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 you know you, I don't know, the rough model is this, that you, you buy, order 10 shoes, you can send them all back if you want. Yeah. But you try them on, then guess what? No one does. Most people keep three or four of them. Yeah. And so, you know, there's, there are also some, also some great brands like Warby Parker, which are these, it was a digital online men's sort of glassware, glasses, I think, initially. Um, and and that, they started investing in retail stores because it's an embodiment of their brand. And, they haven't, and, it's a, and it's a more impactful way of driving their brand than perhaps a digital experience can deliver. Now, um, you mentioned before, you know, this last click attribution yeah. works really well at selling at Google and Facebook yeah. and programmatic. But in actual fact, uh, what you said that it actually means that you end up fishing in the same. Yeah, circling the, circling the end of the funnel. Right, cir- it- right. That's, a, that's a great term. How, how as a marketer, like you mentioned measuring brand, yeah. but how else can marketers, because there is something addictive to being able to see on a last click measure, this is performing, this is the ROI, this is what we're getting. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Um, how do you shift that conversation with, say, a CFO or the CEO? Yeah, so, so, so Groupon is a great, a great example. So when I arrived there, there um, they were 100% digital, spending hundreds of millions of dollars on, on yep. transactional marketing. And for the first time, their customer numbers had actually dipped over the course of the year. So they started losing. Attrition wow. was greater than, than acquisition. And when, when I arrived there, I had to try and convince the business to start investing in the top of the funnel, which was extremely difficult because they were all conditioned on this array of metrics that they got. And they were convinced it was still the, the, right, the, the appropriate way of a way of sort of moving forward. Well, well almost, and, and this is why the Google model is so good. I bet the solution was we need to spend more. On Google. <laughs> and, and guess what Google said is, yeah, there's a, there's a great brand halo when, when you buy lots more keywords. <laughs> okay, so uh, that reminds me of a story. Uh, a, a CMO uh, phoned me up and said, look, I, you know, my media agency, I've got to get some sort of transparency. And I go, well, what do you mean by transparency? And they said... My conversation with my media agency feels like this. I'm sitting in the back seat of a car. It's late at night. There's no lights on and the agency's driving. 
and we're going 100 miles an hour down the road with the lights off. And I'm saying, well, what are we doing? What are we doing? And they go, don't worry. We've just got to go faster and we'll get there. <laughs> right? And they were so terrified that something, you know, there was going to be some massive cr- car crash because they couldn't see where they were going. But the only advice they kept getting from their media agency was spend more money, spend it faster, because we'll break through this lack of performance and suddenly, magically, it will all happen. Yeah. I mean... And look, media agencies are partly to blame for the for the the, the issues around traditional marketing, because, traditional media, sorry, because they're still measuring it on inputs. They're still selling clients on you'll reach this many consumers yeah. or impressions, this, impressions CPMs, CPMs and yeah. all these. And guess what? They're costs to the CFOs. And guess what? Guess what they do when they need to hit a target? On a particularly them. a listed company, every three yeah. every three months they cut them yeah. because there's no there's no output value to it. And so what we did at Groupon is, we, and and the. The, the advent of data and, 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 you know, big data, all that kind of AI and all that sort of, all those other yeah. buzzwords, which I, I, I use, I use with, with, a, with a massive pinch of salt. But it works both ways. So the fact that the transactional channels now have access to all this data means that you can apply that same data to, to, to traditional media. And what we did is we built a media mix, a real-time media mix model. So we fed all, all of our data in, in, into effectively an econometric model. But instead of it being, you know, this episodic once every three months to just justify how well I'm doing, we used it as a way to, to, to convert all of those inputs in our traditional media buyers into outputs. Mm. So suddenly we, I had a, a CAC or a consumer acquisition cost for every dollar I spent wow. okay. in traditional media. Wow. I had, I had a, what we called a CPGP, which was cost per gross profit point. Okay. And so, so when the CFO said, hey, we're going to cut your budget by $5 million or whatever it was, I said, well, you can do that, but you're going to lose this many new customers and this much gross profit. And, <laughs> and you know what he did? He cut Google. <laughs> <laughs> well, not quite, but but it changed yeah, it changed but, the yeah. dialogue, um, and you know, like media mix models, I think have been a little bit because because people have associated them with this sort of episodic, very complex, and they are complex. It takes it takes investment to get it going, and that's one of the I think one of the challenges relative to say Google or Facebook, which literally you throw up a few keywords and you've got a, a you know a last mm-hmm. click attribution a click yeah. attribution model. It's simple. It's simple. Yeah. And and one of the clever things that both of those platforms have done is made it very simple to spend money with them yep. and to get back a result a result, some some uh, uh, analysis, yeah. some data that tells you that it's going well. Yeah. Well, it, it, a little anecdote on Google is they'll let you, like Facebook will let you do incrementality tests. So basically, you know, is your dollar really stretching or um, performing as well as you think? Yeah. Google will let you do it on their display network. They won't let you do it on its search network. And, oh, okay. On paid search. Yeah. And, and, and you can guess the, as to the reasons why. Mm. Um, but the, the, the media mix model really gave us gave me optics and gave the C-suite and, and certainly the financial team optics on the full funnel. And what was interesting, every time we put our budget in it, it kept trying to scoop money away, actually sort of gave away my punchline from search. It, it was one of the key kind of things that we or dimensions that we used to see was it would move money from search into TV, radio, and these other high-reach, um, you know, high-reach traditional media. Now, it's interesting because that's what the data was telling you. I'm sure as a marketer and, and you know, knowing the way you think, you would have built a narrative to make sense of what the data was telling you. Yeah, and it, well, you know what, as hackneyed as the funnel is, for me, it's, it's, a, it's a simple but very effective visualisation tool of how marketing works. And, we, and the, the, the benefit I had was we'd already seen what circling the bottom of the funnel meant, which was reducing, you know, re- reducing number of customers. Yeah. 
And so for me, basically all you're doing is, and, I, and I, what I do is I, I bifurcate the two things. One is narrative-based media. Mm-hmm. So you're telling a story. Yeah. And that's your, that's your traditional media. And then, and then you have tran- transactional media, which is closing that story. Yeah. And, and that's roughly how I saw, in a, in a very simplistic model in my mind, how it worked. And then inside that, you obviously have you know, varying, varying roles. But that, that in, a, in a very linear and a very sort of, in a very simple sort of world, that's the way I split media up. And, and, and you need both. Because when we started investing in the upper funnel, a lot of our tra- transactional marketing channels started improving. Mm. So our conversion rates improved. You know, and we, we suddenly got a whole, whole, whole bunch more traffic to our site. So you could see these two things working in concert, working together. And it's as simple as giving the audience a reminder of a reason to buy and then giving them the transaction to buy. Yeah, and I, and I, I will, what I also like about that is, is I think traditional media forces you to think about your narrative and your message. Mm. It forces a, a discipline that a lot of transactional marketers have completely forgotten or, or dismissed. You know, I, 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 the programmatic teams, for example, would barely even look at their creative. Literally, they were pulling product catalog, products from the catalog, yeah. putting them in a, in a frame, sending them out. And they were just sending out at scale. You know, we were buying hundreds of millions of impressions a week and just finding, and, and, they, and something would stick. You know, you'd get someone at the right time, right place. But for me, that was a miss on our, on our behalf because you're, you're, suddenly, you're suddenly basically saying those 99 million odd impressions I'm giving a week that don't get a click, yeah. I'm discounting. I'm not even, I'm not even valuing them. Yeah, I saw, and I can't remember who it was, but they just put up a whole lot of online ads. And before you could even recognise who the brand was or what they were offering, there was some price discount. It's like they'd gone so far down the funnel that they were already discounting themselves as a way of getting a conversion. And giving away that, and and I think this goes to the very heart of the difference between sales and marketing. You know, marketing uh, for me is about maximising margin, like creating the value of the product to yep. sell it at the best possible price. Sales at the other end is just getting the conversion, even yeah. if I have to discount. Yeah, I mean, I, I would probably slightly. I would actually say I think marketing to me is, is lifetime value or some yeah. or some long term value. You have to force that discipline upon marketers, and I think you, I agree. Sales is just sales. What, what was interesting, it used to bug me a bit, was again at Groupon. Our marketing teams, I know, three hundred odd people. Mm. Two hundred of them would have been would have been analysts. Like they, we we decided that analysts made great marketers because they could they could sort <laughs> through massive amounts of data, and it, it, it bugged me because marketing is a discipline. Just like a, like would would you stack a bunch of would you stack your um, accounting departments full of I don't know comms people? No, you wouldn't because you, you believe there's a discipline there. Whereas, and I, and I think again that that was lost a little bit. And, I, and again, I'm seeing the pendulum swing back. People are recognising that being able to talk to, figure out a message and talk to a consumer mm. for, for a longer period of time than one click is actually a really important skill. Well, that's what, uh, you know, the conversations I've had with uh, data analysts say that the most rewarding relationships they have is where they can do the analysis, go to a marketer and have the conversation around, look, I've seen this, and have the marketer propose a narrative that fits with that, and then they can go and test sell, it, sell it yeah. right? Well, we can go and test yeah, it and say, yeah. okay, well, that's an interesting perspective, yeah? To bring a human dimension and a story to it and then be able to go back to the data and test it. In fact, um, uh, Martin Cass at MDC Media Partners 
we were talking about the idea of bringing media and creative back together. And he says, but it's not in the old way. It's not like, here's the creative idea, now what media we're going to stick it in. It's, here's a whole lot of information and data we have about how people consume media and consume different media products and, and their, what they like and don't like, and put that into the top of the process so that the creatives can actually yep. build the messaging around the insights that the media data actually provides. Yeah, it's, uh, I've got a couple of things. The first is that we, we had, with, with the MMM model, the media mix model we had, we actually would, would track index traffic five minutes after an ad run. And that would allow us to understand day part, program mix, creative. And so it gave the creative team some really, like you say, some really mm. like proper data, not, not just research data or panel data or or you know, quant or, groups or whatever. Or, or those briefs that go, uh, yes, we're targeting um, uh, grocery buyers with children. You know, yeah. like, is, who is that? <laughs> and, and, and we threw up some really interesting, um, you know, really interesting outcomes. So, for, for example, our best-performing ad unit was Nickelodeon 9 a.m. on Saturday morning to, to dads. And we, and we know it was dads because we, we um, actually tested female versus male hero okay. creative and, and, the, and the dad one worked better. So our presumption is... Yeah. People self-identify. And, and our theory was this. It's simply, dad is on the couch. He's been giving the kids Saturday morning. I know it's a little cliched, but... But it's a narrative that yeah. you're using to yeah. explain to understand. what the data's telling yeah. you. And, 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 you know, he's sitting there with his mobile phone. He's seen an ad. And, and, and we would actually... Actually, the product category we used to... Um, that really went well was things to do with your kids. Yeah. And so, you know, we show dads on go-karts and dads bowling. Yeah. And, and it, was the, it was our most effective ad unit. Back, back, to, back to where you were saying earlier around data is it tells you the what, but it doesn't tell you the why. why? And, and that, you know, interestingly, you, you could play that even out to say segmentation. Like, like Amazon, I know, for example, don't believe in a, in a traditional consumer segmentation. They believe they have enough behavioral data to be able to predict whatever you want. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm not sure I agree. I think there's, there's so much more nuances in human behavior mm. that, that you can't, even, even, even though Amazon gets a ton of data, you know, it gets more data than most, most platforms, certainly than what I was getting at Groupon, it still doesn't really tell you why. There's still things out there that you, know, you need to go deeper to understand the, the, the real consumer. And look, the other thing is that I know from my own personal experience is that you buy things, for instance, on Amazon for someone else. Or you buy it, yep. you know, for a relative or something. Um, you know, this is just fucking with their algorithm because you don't. Human beings do not always behave in the same way. I mean, that's one of the things I love about behavioural economics and and Dan Errolly, uh, you know, predictably irrational, um, is that that's the human condition. Yeah. But the more we can get to get to understanding or at least getting an insight into why they're behaving that way, even if it is. No, no, you absolutely, I mean, like, I'm reminding my experience of, like, I, I buy at Christmas time and around Mother's Day, mm. my Amazon experience is suddenly shifts completely. I yeah. started recommending all this, you know, all this, this other stuff that I'm, is really irrelevant to me other than that one moment in time yeah. like, on that particular seasonal location. And I think until you figure out, like, what, but if you knew that I was um, a husband yeah. with a family, actually those purchases would have made a ton of sense. Exactly, but 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 I, and I so I, I, I again I, I feel like this swing towards data is coming back to and I and I you know as I said I, you know, Uber just I think um, hired a, a, a marketer from Coke as their CMO and I think the digital businesses are realizing the fundamentals of marketing 
are still really required to build a business and a relationship with a customer. Yeah, but it's not purely an algorithm and yep. it's not purely a formula because at the end of it, there's a human being. Yeah. And that understanding that is what's going to actually build that engagement, build the brand loyalty and build brands. Yeah, and, and like make you think about the funnel, think about the broader consumer yeah. base and, and think about just the, the broader aspects of marketing. So... So on one, you know, earlier on, you said uh, brand marketers have done a disservice by saying it's not measurable. Yep. On the other side, it's if you just do the numbers, you lack the humanity. Yeah. We've swung one way, now we're swinging back. It's about getting the balance right, yeah, isn't it? absolutely, absolutely. And like, as I said, we, we, when we started telling an, a brand narrative a Groupon, and, and, I, and I should, should prefix this, that Groupon was a very different business to, to the one in Australia. It's a, it's a marketplace of casual dining, things to do, and, and um, commodity beauty. Mm-hmm. And so we had a very, very core target of, of mums, mm-hmm. soccer mums, if I was to simplify yeah. it. Um, and so having an implicit understanding of, of who she was and why she was behaving the way, it was, it was really important not only to affect our brand marketing, but also starting to it started to then influence our our, our transactional marketing, mm. you know, because because their their model that prior to that was this was this we're just going to spray everything out because impressions are so cheap and, and wait for the click. And what we started doing is we because what what that does is while it's still successful on the click, your downstream values begin begin to reduce. So so, by the, so your customer life if you're getting the wrong customer they don't continue to buy. Mm. So what we started doing is we started incenting the transactional teams not purely on the on the transactional NCM, but also on an, on a downstream value, on a okay. lifetime value. Lifetime value. So so we, we because attribution systems are simply a way to direct behaviour, mm-hmm. and they're they're all wrong. It's just trying to find one that's less that that's less imperfect less imperfect than the yeah, others. A better fit. Yes, and and More one and just be consistent with it, and and one that actually directs behaviour the way you want it to go, like you want it to be, because people people who are incented will follow a metric to. to to the ends of the earth, even though it's the bad, a bad result for the business. So you have to get that right. I tell you, John, it's great to hear the same level. Well, in fact, I think your enthusiasm's uh, magnified a hundredfold from back in the Telstra days. I mean, you're you're an enthusiastic marketer then. Yeah. But clearly, your experience with uh, Hotel Club and and then Groupon has really just raised that uh, enthusiasm. What's the future? What are you, what are you planning to do now? Um, you know, I, I, I want to. I'm spending the next few months to just really uh, move, move out of corporate life, out of the corporate ham, hamster wheel. Mm-hmm. Um, and whatever I choose, it'll be it'll be something a little smaller and, we, and with with high potential for growth. Fantastic. Whether it's myself or, or with someone else. Uh, good to hear. Good, uh, but we've run out of time, unfortunately. We'll uh, hopefully continue this conversation another time. Okay. Hey, um, just before we go, a final question: What's the difference between being a marketer in the states and a marketer in Australia? <laughs>